also remember how to turn on a mic pack. Um, for those of you online who couldn't hear what I said, it, it was brilliant. Um, the people in the room laughing should tell you it wasn't. You guys, 525,600 minutes. If you are a fan of mid-1990s musical theater, you know what that measures. It has been one year since we have been together in this building. And it's hard to believe, um, but we are so thankful for those of you who are joining us faithfully online. We love you, friends, and we are so excited uh, for the day that we can all join together um, back in this building or outside. Um, I'll be honest with you, this feels a little bit strange. I kind of feel like it's the first day of school. I don't have anxiety about uh, speaking in general, uh, but this is just like really like, ah, this is cool. Um, so that's where I'm at this morning. We are in week three of our Lenten series, Rest for the Soul. Um, and hopefully you have been walking through our Lenten guide with your small groups, with your families, um, and you are learning and unpacking what it means to be practicing the Sabbath. And the Sabbath seems like a, a simple concept, right? One day a week, just take a day off. Just don't work. Um, but like most things in life, as I get older and I read more and I learn more, um, I realize the complexities of simple ideas, right? And, and Sabbath rest is not something that can be simply put on a to-do list and checked off, like, oh, sweet, took a day off of work, now I can do the next thing. Uh, but instead, it's an attitude and a posture, and our life and our heart need to be bent towards the spaces that God longs to fill with rest. Psalm 46 reminds us to be still and know that I am God. How do we honor that command from God? Well, in order to be still, we have to rest. So we know that, right? This is week three of the study. Um, but we live in a culture where busyness is rewarded. Uh, stillness is laziness. Why didn't you get that done? What do you mean you took that day? Uh, but without rest, we miss the fullness of God. Uh, the rest he invites us to enter in more fully is so that we may know him more deeply. So Sabbath is both a day and an attitude. You can't really have one without the other. It's both a time on the calendar and a disposition of our own hearts. It's a day we're called to enter, yes, but it's adjustment in perspective and vision in the whole world. So Sabbath gives us the rest of God, right? The actual physical rest, the mental rest, the spiritual rest, but it also gives us the rest of God, right? The remainder of the things of God's nature and the presence that we miss when we're too busy doing stuff. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh, I'm going to assume something. I'm going to assume that you are tired. I'm going to assume that you are tired of a pandemic. I know we have a couple of folks that are in this room right now, and many I know who are watching who are first responders, who have been on the front lines. Um, looking back this time last year, even within staff conversations, where we were like, well, so when we gathered again at Easter, we forgot what year, apparently. Um, when that was, but you're tired, right? We're tired of the makeshift home office that was haphazardly thrown together with a standing desk, AKA a stack of books, right? We're tired of not being able to take a break. 
We're tired of being separated from our community, from our people. We're tired of the political vitriol that comes from every single angle all around us all of the time. We're tired of having to watch church on the internet and work on the internet and go to school on the internet and maintain friendships on the internet. We are tired. Maybe it's just me. It's not. But I know that in the midst of that tiredness, this Sabbath call can feel just like, great, cool, cool, one more thing to do. Um, But it's not. Friends, I I want to tune your ears to a different invitation. The invitation of Jesus that we were reminded of on Ask Wednesday to come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Friends, pray with me this morning. Lord, this morning as we take time to read your word, I pray that our hearts can be tuned into what you have in mind for us to learn. Remove the roadblocks from our lives to allow us to lean into discovering you in the midst of our busyness and our valleys. I pray that you can teach us how to rest in you. Give us ears to hear and the wisdom to understand. In your name, amen. So today, I'm talking about Psalm 23, and I think that Psalm 23 might be the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Um, And I mean that because this psalm is beautiful and powerful and deep and often abused by Thomas Kincaid paintings and journal covers and coffee cups. Um, No offense to any of you who happen to have a coffee cup with John 3.16 or the 23rd Psalm on it. But when I think about the 23rd Psalm, it's easy for me to kind of gloss over it, right? Because I've heard it so many times. It's one of the things that uh, people, I think, memorize, right? One of the verses that they think of. Um, It's easy for me to walk away from this portion of God's scripture because I feel like it's overused and overdone. Um, And surely there are better portions of scripture that I could be reading to understand what God is doing in my life. And yes, I realize as a pastor of this church by saying that out loud on a Sunday morning from the pulpit that that um, sounds terrible and I am working on it. But maybe some of you relate. So I wanna invite you uh, to walk with me through this. As I was studying it, I began to see it in a new light. I read a lot of different translations and um, I found uh, some things that were different. And God really taught me some things. So I, I, I would encourage you to turn off the auto-tune that you have in your brain about Psalm 23 this morning. So if you've got your Bible, you've got a Bible app, go ahead and grab it. If you can press on the Bible tab uh, if you are watching with us online. I am going to do something crazy. I'm reading out of the ESV today. Yeah, that's, if, if you don't know me, that doesn't make any sense. It's just a normal translation, but it feels like an ESV kind of Sunday to me. The ESV is a big translation for me. So, uh, friends, let's jump into the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My friends, the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. I guess what has blessed me in reading over and over in this passage as I've been preparing for this week is the realism of faith that David gives us in this psalm. This is, this is not a naive faith, right? This is a seasoned faith, a joy from a man who led a hard life and always found God there, ready to rescue and to discipline and to give rest. I think we can learn a lot about who God is from this song of David, and we can learn a lot about the relationship we are called to have with God and how we're to relate to him in a time of rest. So we know David, right? My fa- one of my favorite biblical hot mess characters who God uses anyway. Um, I tend to think of David in two very distinct categories, right? I think of David, the king, conquering Jerusalem after Saul's death, bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city. There was the Bathsheba-Uriah disaster. Um, Or I think of David as a young kid with a bag full of stones ready to slay Goliath. So he's either a conquering king or a a tiny asparagus set to slay the giant pickle. Um, But but there was a time for David when he was a shepherd. And, and shepherd life is hard, especially when you're a shepherd like David was in the Judean desert. So I want you to picture in your mind the image of a shepherd. Uh, if that's hard for you, I Googled it. Uh, we see a lot of this, right? We see a lot of images of a man walking sheep in green rolling hills, right? It's probably in Scotland or Ireland or someplace with green rolling hills. The Fitzgeralds agree, it's probably Ireland, Um, right? He's wearing a robe, he's got this staff hook thing, there's a dog, right? Um, And you add in the 23rd Psalm and it's like, but oh yeah, that's, that's where they got the cover for the journal, right? The Lord is my shepherd, you can just see it. It's probably written in papyrus font, right? But what do these two verses, these first two verses really mean? Well, at first read, this passage looks like what God does for us as our shepherd is gives us the command, if we were to follow him, he will always lead us to places of rest, comfort, and beauty, and we will never be in want. Cool. Uh, That is something I can get on board with. The world tells us that when we're in sync with the shepherd, the thing that God will give us is exactly what we want. Green pastures and still water. So, a great job, Right? the relationship that's going exactly the way that we want it to go, the house that we love, the great car. It's, it's good health. It's well-behaved children. We have three under the age of two in the sanctuary right now, and you may be at home being like, yeah, me, me too, right? Um, those are green pastures for us. We take the psalm and we think about our immediate comfort, right? We follow the shepherd and things are great. And that is uh, it's not reality, frankly. The reality is that Israel... God's chosen place for God's chosen people is a desert. There are no green pastures in Israel. Um, Most of Israel is long, long stretches of dirt, um, followed by a short stretch of brown grass, and then a pile of rocks, um, followed by no water, and then a long stretch of dirt. And we know that sheep only care about grass and water, so it seems like the shepherd's task is impossible. Kind of feels a lot like this past year, huh? (laughs) Long stretches of dirt, followed by dead grass and a pile of rocks and no water. But don't worry, there's more dirt. 
it seems like there's nothing in sight that will bring us rest for our souls or our weary hearts or our tired bodies. Uh, but God, our shepherd, the, the shepherd, has a promise to us that he will take us somewhere where we will see restoration. Not a place where we are going to wither and die and be swallowed up by our enemies, but a place where we will be nourished and thrive. And frankly, uh, that seems pretty improbable to us right now. Uh, because as humans, we tend to see the desert, right? We see the dirt, we see the rocks, um, we see the dead grass, and then we look back up at the shepherd and we think, no, okay, yeah, right. Um, so you're going you're gonna to find us a pasture in the midst of this? You think that someplace in this place there's water? Um, that's cute, no thanks, I'm going to work. I'm going to work, I'm going to push harder, I'm going to move forward, I'm going to seek pastures for me and my family. So we move forward, believing that we are the ones who manufacture our world, our wealth, and we are the ones who must sustain ourselves. We're the ones who have to find the green pastures, we gotta find the still waters, and the good old-fashioned way to do that is by pulling up your bootstraps and working hard. And we rush around and we get busy, because surely, as the amount of stuff we do increases, so then will our blessings, right? Society and our job and our school and our teams and families that just piles up on top of this and soon we find ourselves in the circle of believing that if we stop to take a rest, our sustenance will dry up and our families and livelihoods will suffer. The worst lie that busyness raises up is the belief that I am God and that it depends on me. How will the right things happen at the right time if I am not pushing and pulling and watching and worrying? We don't trust that God will come through and handle what he's created and what he has promised to restore. But, you guys, unless we trust God and his sovereignty, we're not even going to risk a Sabbath rest. And because we're short-sighted when it comes to trust. That's, that's why, right? We're short-sighted when it comes to trusting people, and we're short-sighted when it comes to trusting God. If we don't see immediate results, we're out. And, and so, in our fallen human nature, we lean into one of two things that are the opposite of trust, right? And this is a kind of a two-sided coin. We either lean onto pride or we lean onto despair. This idea, this concept that we need to do things, right? We need to work harder and longer and we cannot take a break or the world will crumble around me. This is pride. Um, and I... I'm ashamed to admit, but I, I know pride well in my life. Um, and pride usurps God. Pride takes the universe's deepest truth that we need and serve a God, and it gets it exactly backward. Pride is the delusion that God, if he exists, is awfully lucky that I have shown up, and he should mind his P's and Q's lest I change my mind and decide to stop working hard, and I will take my talents elsewhere. Thank you very much. The other side of the coin, opposite but equally as destructive as pride, is despair, right? It is to collapse into a sense that not even God is good enough or big enough or smart enough to sort out this mess that we are in. In despair, we are consumed by the lie that God, if he exists, is too inept or distracted or apathetic to even notice us, let alone come to our aid. So instead of trusting God to provide for us, 
We wrestle with these things, with pride, with despair, vacillating back and forth and back and forth between one another, trying to figure out how to walk the tightrope of working and providing and doing more and doing better and always almost falling off the edge. But scripture stops us with the command for Sabbath. It says, back up, wait a minute, you are a sheep. You're being led by this shepherd. And to follow this shepherd into a place that seems too good to be true and would never reach, it takes a tremendous act of trust. And I hate to break it to you, but the way that this trust is gained is not by man working harder and better and longer, but by us learning to slow down, to be vulnerable, and to believe what scripture says, that God will look after us. We need to trust that when we Sabbath and when we rest, God will look after us and he will provide. Why? Because this is, this is the character of God. And so that begs the bigger question. Do you trust God? Asking that question makes me feel like Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry, right? You feeling lucky, punk? Do you trust God enough to take a break from the hustle and bustle of life and just rest at peace in his presence? I feel like most of us, when asked that question, want to say, yes, yes, we do. But I wonder how well our lives reflect that enthusiasm. Our actions speak louder than words when it comes to Sabbath and trusting that God will provide for us even when we cease doing our work is an action and a word. Real Sabbath, the kind that empties and fills us, depends on complete confidence and trust. A confidence and trust that are rooted in a deep conviction that God is sovereign and God is good. There's no real rest for those who don't believe that. If God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called to his purpose, you can relax. Right, if God can take any mess, any mishap, any waste, any wreckage, any anything, and, and choreograph beauty and meaning from it, you can take a day off. God is always at work, watching the city, building the house. God, our shepherd, is good, and he is in control. Uh, in his autobiography, C.S. Lewis talks about the primary reason for his years as an unbeliever uh, were that he didn't want to deal with the reality of God, uh, God in the universe, who was meddlesome. Um, he, wanted to be, he didn't want to be shepherded or led by a God that would take him where God wanted to go because surely that meant where Lewis wanted to go was likely to be ignored. David's psalm, the Psalm 23, is a confession of that reality, that God is indeed meddlesome. And he's going to take us somewhere. And newsflash, that somewhere might be someplace we don't want to go. Look back with me at verses 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The way that our shepherd leads us, the way that we must trust, is through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, and that does not sound like a place I want on my travel itinerary. I, in the morning, I'm a sheep, right? I get up and I have my continental breakfast and I see my route for the day. And I see that it says valley of the shadow of death. And I would say, no, Siri, please reroute. No, thank you. I would prefer not to go to there. I prefer my own trajectory. Thank you. Um, but 
the shepherd does not sit back and just follow the sheep where they wander. He doesn't just let us go where we want. The shepherd has a plan. And his plan is to take the sheep away from all the long stretches of dirt and into flourishing. And y'all, we can't get there unless we learn to trust the shepherd and walk through the unpleasant, hard, painful valleys being surrounded by our enemies. And you guys, this is not just a quick walk through the valley. Um, We're going to sit down in this valley. We're going to eat in this valley. Uh, The New Living Translation (laughs) says the table that the Lord prepares in verse 5 here, it's a feast. The message says that it's a six-course meal. Do you have any idea how long it takes to set a table and then to prepare and then to eat a six-course meal? Yet in this space, we, we trust that God with his rod and his staff, that he will defend us. He will nourish us. He will sustain us. And that is what it looks like to Sabbath. It's camping out in one place for long enough for God to replenish us. It's God's opportunity to demonstrate to us in the very midst of a potential destruction surrounded by our enemies, his utter trustworthiness. He makes us lie down and prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemy. We learn that here, even here, and especially here, his rod and his staff comfort us. He watches over. We can trust him. We can rest. In his book, The Rest of God, Pastor Mark Buchanan says this, Sabbath is turning over to God all those things, our money, our work, our status, our reputations, our plans, our projects, that we're otherwise tempted to hold tight in our own closed fists, to hold on to for dear life. It is allowing God to wound us in an intimate and vulnerable place, to scar us and mark us and make us his own. It is letting go for one day out of seven all the parts of our identities and abilities in which we are constantly tempted to find our security and discovering afresh that we are his children and that he is our father and shield and defender. How do we know that we can trust this father as shield and defender? We can trust because of what we know of Jesus. Listen to Isaiah 53. Yet he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants or that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. The lamb that has been led to slaughter is Jesus. Uh, The prophet here speaks to the coming and returning of our king, the king who will be making all things new. Jesus, as a sheep, is led into the valley of death and he dies. He unjustly suffers and he dies for the iniquity of all of us, for, for our sins, for my sins, for your sins. So how can we trust him? 
How can we trust that he will lead us to green pastures and provide rest for his souls? We know it because of this one sheep that has been led into death. And that sheep was crushed so that we can walk through the valley and not die. God promises in and through and on account of himself, the creator of the universe, that by dying in our place, he has bound himself to us in covenant relationship. And y'all, God does not break a covenant. With the death of Jesus on the cross, the distance and the hostility between us and God all the way back from like all the, the world, the Garden of Eden from the very beginning has blown wide open. Uh, the portion of rest that God has designed for us to become fully ours in the Sabbath, if we trust and we follow that command, it's available. And when we turn to rest, we acknowledge we don't have it all together, but we trust in a sovereign king who does. So remember, my friends, anyone can take a day off. But as Christians, we have a privilege of experiencing the incarnation of the Sabbath by trusting in Christ, the shepherd himself. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the care that you hold us with. Lord, I pray for the folks hearing this message and reading in your word that they may leave aware of the goodness in your life. That they can see that this Sabbath is an invitation to rest and to receive the covenant mercy poured out. And God, that they can learn and know that you are the good shepherd, not a faraway distant God, but a shepherd who guides us and leads us and is taking us somewhere very intentional. Allow our trust of you to permeate every aspect of our lives. In the name of your son, our shepherd. Amen.